My name is Louis Longmire. Uh, I've been in Portland for 22 years this October, and I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Actually, raised in rural New Mexico, but I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico before I came here. Before you came to Portland, did you have a concept of what the music scene was like here? Yes, definitely. It was the music scene that actually lured myself and my band to move to Portland. We had a little uh, sort of like amplified acoustic, uh, hippie, jammy. We thought of ourselves as sort of punk by attitude, but we were pretty granola-y maybe in some ways. We had a little hippie band that had been touring the, all over the western states um, in the early 1990s. Probably started touring maybe 94 or so, whatever. Continued until uh, we moved here in late 97. So uh, we would do tours through Portland. And um, it, the musicians that we met and the support of the audiences and just the general sort of fertile culture um, really showed us how good it was to be a... a a performing and working musician up here, but also the entire culture was more fertile in that way for the things we were looking for. It was progressive, it was green, it was socially conscious, it, they recycled. Um, I remember there was some stat, I don't remember what it was, but it was as it was there was something like 86% of the people had library cards and used them, you know, in New Mexico it was like 35 you know what I mean it was just sort of said something about the whole there was a lot and then you know there were all the trees it was green in that regard as well you know what I mean mm -hmm. lush compared to being in New Mexico and I'm a very pale pale man <laughs> so so yeah we got to play a lot of uh, shows up here and um, I, I just it seemed to be the most supportive place and the most uh, welcoming place to do to 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 play music and and to uh, commune the other musicians that we met here were all incredibly friendly it didn't seem super competitive um we used to play uh shows with this band colobo that had a couple of members that went on and now are in the decemberists and they were just like we met at festivals we played together at high sierra and stuff like that and they invited us to to open shows for them and we formed sort of a camaraderie and they were always so welcoming and be like inviting us to open up for them playing a sold-out show at the roseland and you know in those days you were probably you'd get like three or four hundred dollars if you were doing the bar all night gig like you know nine to midnight nine to one play a bunch of sets and it's there's no cover or whatever and you're just the party band or whatever you could do those on the road for around three or four hundred bucks and then uh multi-band bills where you get 150 or something like that or there'd be like it's you opening up for Derek trucks but you're getting 50 dollars you know <laughs> what i mean or something crazy <laughs> like that so um and we'd come up here and they'd be like We've got a sold out show. You know, we're going to play the Roseland. They're going to sell it out no matter who they have open. And they'd give us like a ton of money and let us play an hour, 75 minutes or whatever, you know, like do a real thing. And just so welcoming and just glad to, to have a community and stuff like that. That it, um, Where we were in New Mexico, it was probably uh, 
it seemed competitive. You know, at the time, I felt like our little, like there were just these little tiny enclaves of like, oh, we got like, uh, there's like 50 freaks or long hairs and dreads, you know, and then, but the, the guys who are playing like rock music that sounds like Soundgarden, like they're different from us and they're over here and we're not part of them, you know. And it seemed really uh, competitive and not very cohesive. And the whole culture of Portland just seemed very, um, at least the musical culture, just very open and welcoming. Do you feel that a band in that position now would get that same impression from Portland coming here? Gosh, I think, I don't really know. I would like to think that within the community that I move, yes, that that is a thing. Um, I'm dating a lady right now who just moved to Portland, and I introduced her to some people, but her own natural sort of like outgoing nature has connected her to a lot of people that she's been playing shows with right away after landing here. And those are people that I didn't know hmm. beforehand, you know? And so I think within certain things, I, I feel like, you know, if a really talented songwriter moves to town or something like that, I'm going to, you're going to introduce him to everyone, you know, yeah. especially if he's a nice guy or, or a girl, you know, if they're a nice person, uh, then uh, I think that, I'd like to think that does exist, certainly within the community that I get to work, you mm -hmm. know. I'd like to think that I would like to try and foster that in the ways that I can, you know. In a broad sense, um, do you think that sort of vibe that brought you here is still as strong or is still like as defining of Portland? Well, I don't know. My only, I don't, the only thing that I know, I'd hate to define something as being Portland because mm. A, I'm not living anywhere else, so I have no perspective in that regard. And B, I only have my own perspective here within Portland to have any, you know, that's, I only know what I'm living really and mm. what the people around me are living. And my group, uh, you know, my community in many senses is probably not very diverse. I think only because like, you know, like we, we play a music that emulates like white rock and roll, you know, stuff like that from the late 60s, early 70s, you know, and so it's predetermined that, you know, a, a certain sort of cultural group is going to immediately identify with that more than others, maybe. Right. Maybe that's a limiting perspective. So, but, I, you know, I have a certain privilege of having, you know, had some of the good experiences and growth that I've had and now being involved in my own venue. Um, I think that sort of inclusiveness and welcoming thing is certainly what I want to see in anything I'm around. Uh, it, it personifies Portland in the sense to me in the sense that I'm in Portland now and that's what I'm trying to like push forward as a thing. I would have to assume, I mean, I've never really stopped to think about it. I'm so busy living my own life that uh, I can't imagine like what it's like. A actually, you know, the, the crossovers that I do know, like, um, you know, I played guitar for a while with Jenny Don't and the Spurs, mm -hmm. which is like a pretty traditional sounding outlaw country band um, with Jenny's a great singer. She writes killer tunes. Um, 
but they were made up of members who had moved over to play country music from the punk scene. The drummer is Sam Henry from the Wipers in Napalm Beach. And the bass player, Kelly Halliburton, had been in, uh, in Problems and had been the drummer in Pierce Arrows with Fred and Tootie Cole from Dead Moon. And Jenny had had like sort of a more like muscular rock and roll band that was just called Don't. And they'd formed a country band. And they're really good, you know. And I, I played guitar with them for a while. And they introduced me to, I got to see aspects of like, the punk scene and their rocker scenes that had the same sort of thing like you know in some ways maybe even truer than some of the the stuff that i know within my own scene but i'm like almost 50 you know what i mean like uh in the sense that you know they were never without a place to stay mm. as a band you know or whatever like you know like there's there's community out there and the tours and the stuff i did that had become their community through being rockers and now was over on the country music side. And so, so I think, you know, I would like to hope that every pocket has their own sort of level of that. It depends on, to me that it, it depends on what you're going for. Like, are you going for an experience and are you going for a lifetime or like, wh why are you involved in the music business or, shamanistic ritualism or whatever you know like of whatever your relationship with music is like what are you in into it for um and that's not, not even like a judgment of a conscious thing like on what level like you know why did you become a performer it's because i want people to look at me or you know or <laughs> why do you sing songs it's because i have these things i have to shout you know from within me or or maybe i'm hoping like when you're young there was the whole thing about oh i'm hoping like like a member of the opposite a member of my preferred gender would look at me just right. You know what I mean? Or whatever. And how do you evolve through that? Or I want to make a buck. You know, I want to make it big. Yeah. Why not make it big? I want to be famous. So it depends on, I think, certain aspects of those are like, that would decide like how maybe opening and welcoming you are. Right. And that's not even like a judgment thing, but I mean, like what what motivations are are maybe some people are uh, less welcoming because they're scared because the act of being an artist or the act of being a performer is in itself like really it's vulnerable, right. you know, or can be. And uh, people navigate it in different ways. Do you think you could objectively outside of sort of your own pocket and these other pockets? classify something that you would say is like the Portland sound or the Portland vibe? I don't know. I don't know if there is a Portland sound or a Portland vibe. I, th I think, I think the whole thing generally is like that there's a, um, like I say, I would like to think that it's this more like community minded thing. Uh, certainly in earlier years, that was, that was what I felt like the whole town was. It was easier for people to do you know, if there's lots of places to play and and everyone's making music and there's back when there was less legitimate music business going on here. Everybody that was doing it, they were doing it because they had to. It was in them. And that's what they needed to do to express themselves. There was no other reason to be in it. You weren't going to. It wasn't on people's minds that they were going to get big at a certain point. I don't mm -hmm. think, you know, that it was just like the people who were making music here were just making we're making music because they needed to. It wasn't like you were going to, uh, uh, 
you were going to brand a certain kind of music and make money off of like licensing. You know, I'm sure there are bands that pretty much mostly exist as like an excuse to have a licensing thing and the actual like, you know, performance or day to day thing of of a band is not what I would think of. Yeah. You know, can you tell a difference between Portland crowds and different crowds? I don't tour that much, so I can't I can't really speak to that either my experiences outside of portland have been with people who are already pretty established Mm -hmm. or situations that are already established like festival like to be just like incredible you know so i will say that certainly on the level on a very base level of the concept of of uh financial support it seems that the portland audiences tip heavy the Portland audiences more than any place I've ever played, and I haven't done much of late, but the concept of you giving them something for free is something that people immediately like respond by being like, I want to support this. I will give money to- towards this. And whatever that money represents, it represents a certain support, and it's a, um, it's a tangible sort of energetic support. Mm-hmm. For someone else uh, it's a compliment but it's like it will help you in its own way you know like now you can get a burger hey <laughs> simple you know yeah and to me that's something that i put out a tip jar almost anywhere anytime judging on the respect of what i feel will be respectful of the room obviously i'm not going to go put a tip jar out at a wedding unless they tell me that i should mm-hmm. or something like that you know what i mean but i think that's a that's a time immemorial uh, sort of relationship between performer and and audience that's just like goes back to the streets of Cairo or whatever you know like centuries yeah so what was the question <laughs> well, so <laughs> imagine that imagine you had uh, imagine you were like sort of blindly spun around the world and put into a room that you didn't know where it was and let's also presume that there's going to be nobody there that you know. Do you think you would be able to feel that you were in Portland walking out onto a stage? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> God, jeez. I can't tell. I've walked out onto stage in Portland and, and felt terrible before, <laughs> you know? That exists as much as anything else. Like, there's situations I've gotten myself into that I, should, I simply shouldn't have ever been there, you know? <laughs> like, for whatever reason. Like, you know, I was telling someone about this just recently. Somehow I ended up on some gig where we were playing at, like, a, a trade show of some kind. It was for really cool, amazing stuff, but it was in this cold crazy warehouse and and it was just so loud that no one could even hear the band like i could hardly hear the other guitar amp from where i was standing just because the room was chaos i'm getting paid decently and i'm just like but why why am i here how did this happen why do they have music here who decided this you know all this is going through my head um so if I knew nobody in the room, 
I don't know, man. There's greatness everywhere. There's really greatness everywhere. I don't know. I don't think so, man. Okay. I don't think so. Right. I think there's greatness everywhere. I don't want to get too stuck on I think what goes on here is amazing. I just, like I say, I just don't, I've never been anywhere else to say that, like, I mean, I'm sure there's got to be pockets of amazing everywhere you go, right? You is go. this true? <laughs> we don't want more people moving here, though. We just don't have room. I want to include everybody, but Lord, the rent. No, I don't know. Um, I'm a terrible interview. <laughs> no, no, that's, been, no that's, that's what I want. Um, do you feel that surviving as just a Portland musician is, I guess there's two questions. I guess whether it's become easier or harder for you personally, and if you think on a whole it's easier or harder to just survive as a Portland musician now. I would say for me it has gotten easier, and I think that is, uh, I'm so thankful for whatever made that, happen because it's not you know i know so many people who are way more deserving of that sort of situation than me but that is also through a very careful setup of like how i've lived my entire existence up to this point mixed with luck and fate or whatever those whatever things i have directed towards trying to live as a musician and try and find a way that's really honorable about it. Feels honorable to me. I'm sure I could always grow and hopefully am growing in ways to become even more so, but to where I'm serving what, what, what it means to me as a like experience, you know, like nobody, I'm not owed the concept that anyone would listen to me play music or have me play their music with them. Mm. I'm not owed any of that. You know what I mean? Um, I love to do it and I've tried to do it really well and I try to get better at it and I try to really honor it. And um, I think through that, I've been lucky enough to be rewarded energetically with the universe allowing me to keep doing it and keep growing. But, you know, like part of that, too, is that I'm lucky in that aspect that that is the central pivot point of my life and what I'd rather be doing than anything else. Like, I'd rather be playing music pretty much almost any day, any time, than doing much else. And I do that as much as I can, but I also don't live extravagantly, you know what I mean? It's not like it, I'm lucky in the sense that as a business thing, I can acquire, like, a guitar or something like that that I feel will aid my music and it's, it becomes part of the, you know, business thing that I do. And I'm lucky for that because that's the only thing I have interest in anyway, really. So, but, you know, I, it, it also comes like I, I made a conscious decision in my own mind. It felt like a long time ago that I was never, I was not going to have any children. You know, that I felt like it's, I took this, a kind of, you know, agreement with myself to live at a certain level of what is considered poverty probably, but you know, feels totally opulent to me for the things that I need to be happy in, in this life, you know? And so I'm lucky in that regard, but I don't know what it would be like if, you know, if I were trying to support an entire family doing this sort of thing or, or support my portion of a family, you know what I mean? Things change, you know, 
So it's gotten easier for me in that regard. Beyond that, I think it's harder in general in Portland, if only because the cost of living is so much higher. I mean, when I moved here, and granted, this was a long damn time ago, um, you know, you get a three-bedroom house for 800 bucks near the Hawthorne District, you know. You could just about spare change on Hawthorne in front of the Ben and Jerry's and make your nut if you, like, if you had a good enough act. So do you think, do you think in general there's less people that are living strictly off their music in portland than there used to be i don't know and to be honest like i don't want to give a, a too much of the wrong view of it because i don't know there's a i don't know what the line is like i have through this whole time that i've lived as a musician i've always had like a day job mm-hmm. through the entire time it just happened to be like booking the laurel thirst for the longest time mm-hmm. And now as an owner of the Laurel Thirst. But there's always been a thing within my making a living as a musician where I did have one aspect of it that was like paying into the system legitimately. And then I would do all my stuff to try and like, you know, have make sure they're taking out enough so that I'm not going to get destroyed when there's a pile of 1099s as an independent contractor at the end of the year or whatever. But... uh I mean, I, I know some folks in, in some successful bands, and oftentimes they work when they're not on the road. So I don't know if it is easier. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think for most people it's probably harder now just because of the cost of living. Well, Just lo- speaking frankly, like someone who does like... I don't know like what the touring members of the larger Portland bands do when those bands are not on tour. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't even know nowadays with the record sales the way they are. I don't even know if those bands like you could be in the Jicks or something like that playing with Stephen Malcolmus, And I think when you, when that band's not playing, you got a job. I'm pretty sure Jake Morris delivers pizzas, the drummer for the, the yeah, Jicks. See, yeah. 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 Exactly, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so if like if that's not working for you, then, you know, then it's not working for anyone. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and I wasn't high enough up on the chain when record sales was really a thing to have uh, my own social circle of people like really moving in that world to know what that was like. I do know that as an independent artist putting self-releasing CDs in the 90s, um, that that was always at least sustainable, which I thought was great. You could record a record, you put, put some money in, record a record, release it on CD. That CD would usually sell enough to pay for having made and recorded that one and pro- either provide tour support as you're out there on the road that you can use just as cash or... Um, or save it up to go against the next record that you're doing. And then that one, you're not even paying back. You know what I mean? Like once you were three records in, you're, they actually, you would always sell enough to like make, to make it worth doing mm-hmm. for sure. Like now it's totally, I imagine unless you have some sort of licensing scheme, I can't imagine you actually making up uh, the cost of recording something if you put any money into it at all really Mm -hmm. you know what i mean 
Well, I suppose like if you if you did a setup just like we're doing right now, and you volunteered to do it for free, then sure you'd probably they could buy you beers or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so but I don't know what it would have what it, like what it was genuinely like for the Dandy Warhols mm. when they when they fucking really hit it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like a heady time. But I didn't know them back then. Yeah. So, sort of further on on that, and also going back to gigs that you didn't know how you got there in the first place, right. um, do you have in your mind a clear, distinct line where your artistic integrity and potential paycheck diverge? Yes, of course, of course. Everybody, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. You know, um, that came up earlier today. I'm lucky enough that, and I'm also workmanlike enough about it. I feel like that I play often enough during a week and thankfully have opportunity to do it in a way, which means that I'm constantly playing already and enjoying that playing um, enough to where that I pretty much don't, I rarely will accept the gig just for money. Like, I just don't need it, you know. I'd rather do the little $50 here, $30 there, you know, justifies. As a person who doesn't drink, that's certainly, like, you know, my experience with going to the bar and playing gigs is that I never, I never spend any money, really, unless it's on food. And the fact that I don't drink most places, if they can, will allow me to... to to have food instead of drink because, you know, can't force me to have, if that's part of my compensation yeah. for doing the thing and I don't partake of that thing, like, you that know, makes sense. if they, you know, if they can, they will. So, but I, I, so I like, I don't do like, I don't do weddings mm. or whatever, unless it was like for a personal friend, you know, who I really knew that their whole scene was going to be like, it was going to be fun yeah. and we were going to be the right thing. Yeah. You know, um, and that's, n that's less out of any sort of, it's not like I feel like I'm an artist or anything like that. It's just, I don't, I'm not comfortable in those situations. I, I don't like putting myself into a, a position where someone, uh, where, where so many someone's have a vested interest in like what I may or may not be doing right. You know, mm -hmm. uh, how I'm dressed or what time we got there, you know, or where we sat when we ate, you know, with with family stuff like that and things that go on in weddings. Like to me, that's like totally you can't pay me enough to like go through an afternoon of that. You just can't. And I don't think it serves anyone anyway, because then if that's how I feel, like what kind of energy am I bringing to this thing? You know, you don't want me around. Why pay me to grump around? You know, if it's, you know, you know, if it's personal, that's a totally different thing. But that's the whole thing with like, I forget the exact things. I used to have this, I, I sort of feel like I forget the exact way I used to word this because it hasn't come up in a while. But I always felt like that there was a certain list and there's a number of things for any like gig personally me that I'm going to do or gig or or project or whatever. 
that I absolutely like. One of them would be that I absolutely love the music itself. That it's just like, oh my God, this is fantastic. And I just, and I think I really want to be a part of it. And I think I can add something to it. And I think I, it really resonates with me. That's one. Another would be, um, it's going to push me. I'm going to have to work to like do this thing. Like, like um, I definitely will come out of this a better musician by doing the work that I'm going to have to do to do some gig. Mm-hmm. Learn a catalog, learn some riffs, whatever. Check out some new style to try and figure out what's going on. Um, I absolutely, one would be that you absolutely love the people that you're doing it with. You know, if I, if I have a really good friend who maybe is not like the best musician in the world and he wants me to go play with him, I'll go play with him. Because that's just this is what you do, yeah. you know, um, and it's what makes the life worth living. Um, and then down on that list is like they are paying you a shit ton of money, you know. At some point, there'd be you'd be paying you uh, a ton of money to do the thing. And so for me, I always feel like most gigs, like you can only have a couple of those things lacking. You know what I mean? Yeah. To before it drops below the line. So, but there's always that sort of scale of like, there's definitely, you know, and the, the gig that I couldn't, you know, where I wonder why I found myself there, it was playing music I really liked with a bunch of really good buddies and, and they paid us a bunch of money. You know, it just didn't, it wasn't a good experience because it just didn't, they couldn't hear us. That was the thing. Right. Was, but, and, I should have known that, like, should book smarter. You know what I mean? Like, realize what sort of thing you're, you're getting into. It's nobody's fault but mine, you know? <laughs> I really try not to mope it up if I do find myself somewhere because you got to make the most of wherever you are. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk um, for a little bit about um, the city itself, the, the government forces of Portland Of here. Portland, right. Have you seen a notable... A notable change since you first moved here of how the government interacts or tries to regulate the Portland music scene? I would only say that I would I would judge the difference uh in the way that they're that that we as the music scene interact with the government by the sense that I never thought about it that much until recently. It didn't come up for me, and I was, I'm sure things have been changing and going on for quite some time. I was not uh, paying very much attention because it wasn't affecting me at that moment, and I probably wasn't as civically involved in earlier years as I could have been, and I certainly wasn't as civically as involved as I am now. Right. So this is sort of what you were saying before. Do you think that's because um, there were people in power who were looking out more for the music scene so it sort of left musicians yeah, to not worry either, about so much it was either that the, it was either that the administration for some time um and and i don't know if they're out to get the music scene and culture per se i don't know if it's quite as i think it's just market forces have driven land to uh land values to such a point uh, that the people who are trying to make money off of that sort of thing are a difficult force to be reckoned with. 
Uh, and they just weren't here back then mm. in that way. Like, Portland wasn't popular enough for many places to have problems. Land wasn't worth enough for people to, like, tear down perfectly fine homes to build something else that just didn't like it wasn't fiscally sound whereas now it's totally fiscally sound if you've got the money to do it you do it and you'll make probably more money who knows i don't actually even know what the vacancy rate in portland is of some of these units or i don't understand how money works at all (laughs) like how come there's so many mofos out there who can afford this stuff yeah. <laughs> Where's all this coming from? You know, I don't get it. But um, for whatever it's worth now, uh, I feel like everything is so dear and worth so much that everyone's paying more attention to everything. On a government level, I mean, like, about, mm-hmm. like, what can we do to, like, get more people in? I mean, they also have, like, they also have real concerns. You know, it's not... Um, not every time government makes a regulation is there something that like that's ne- nefarious behind it or something like that, you know. Um, it's always going to be difficult, any kind of changes like that. But um, I do know that now civic and in- like a lack of civic involvement is not an option. The other thing, too, is like as I get older, you know, there comes a time when it's like you have to start stepping up to like be your own hero. You know, because there's, you know, I've been around Portland for 20 years. Like, why not me? Why shouldn't I go down to city council and try and, you know, or try and make my voice be heard in some way if if I think someone will listen? Um, So maybe, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't for me to do. I wasn't vested enough in the thing to do it. and, And maybe I was lucky. I do know that some of the people who... Now I know, like Jim Brunberg and, and some of these people who've been, they've been civically involved for decades. You know what I mean? Some of these people have been watching what's going on. I think there's always been someone down there over the years who's had a little little contact just enough to like sort of put a bug in the ear of some of the politicians and stuff like that. Well, do you feel like even beyond saying, why not me, do you feel like kind of from what Portland has given you that you have a responsibility to stand up for it now? Definitely. I mean, in that regard, I mean, like, no one's going to do it for me. And I'm still not nearly as involved as I maybe feel that I should be or could be, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I hadn't imagined being for whatever it's worth, whatever it means, in this sense, I hadn't imagined ever being legitimate or important enough in a trip to like to where I feel like I could really make a difference by going down and like speaking on the news or whatever as like some sort of a face of something, some kind of culture or some kind of community. I had never... Uh, imagined that I'd be like a pub owner, like a venue owner years ago. That was not my intention. Mm. But if that is a thing that I'm going to do that will help my kind of world exist into the future about musicians playing in this kind of way where this guy's been playing here every week for 20 years, you know, people's come, it's great, you know. Um, If I want that to exist, that I... uh, 
that it it was presented to me by the universe to like if you want it to exist you need to be able to step up or it's not going to exist right so i'm like okay well this is what it is and then you know obviously if you have that then yeah you you know it's a it's a stewardship of a certain kind of thing and i'm balancing a lot of plates in the sky at the same time you know i'm trying to have a trying to have a life um just a general like day-to-day life trying to continue to write my own songs and perform them with my own band i have several other musical projects where i feel i'm integral where i'm like a member of this band and then i'm still booking and running music over at the laurel thirst pub and all the like stuff that that entails like the website the social media all that you know one man show so it doesn't leave a, a lot of time to then be like rally i'm gonna go rally you know <laughs> yeah um but you know i do as i can i mean it, it's also i mean the specific things of how we ended up with the ownership of the laurel thirst pub was like we ended up with our building by crowdfunding so it's not only for us, like all those people that showed how many people were interested in a place like this to stay going, you know, it's almost like I'm the electoral college guy for those people. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm, the, I'm the delegate for those constituents yeah. of the scene yeah. or whatever. Probably not a very good one, but, you know, <laughs> I do what I can. So are you, are you optimistic or pessimistic about where the music scene is going in general here? Um, or do you try not to think about it? I try not to think about it. I try to just concentrate on my little microcosm. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say, I try to be involved as I can in the general community, but... Uh, pretty busy most of the time i did 250 plus gigs last year most of which in portland Mm -hmm. you know um and i'm i consider myself a realist in my own in the way i see myself i might be a pessimist (laughs) i'm not a hundred percent certain about that but i'm not overly confident about the continuation of our society and humanity as it is right now um and i'm okay with that you know what i mean that it fits in also with my like i mentioned earlier that i had sort of decided that i didn't want to have children that i'm like there's enough people there's just plainly enough people it's totally cool Mm -hmm. don't no problem there at all and and so i just generally I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful for everything we've got going while we have it, because that's, that's just all there is. That's just all there is. Um, I'm dug in, you know. I've got skin in the game, as they say, or whatever, at the, you know, owning the, the pub and everything. But it's also like, you know, if, if that kind of culture can't exist, then maybe I don't need to be here anymore. Or whatever you know I love it here but I mean I also when I lived in New Mexico I never would have imagined li- leaving mm. I was so proud to be a native New Mexican I was all about it man 
And then it just, you know, the culture around me changed and the, the viability of, of that band continuing to do what it was doing was passing by and we could sense it. And our sort of thing was like, let's move or, or we're going to break up. Mm. And we moved and then we broke up, which was fine because yeah. like several of us stayed up here and some folks went back to New Mexico and, you know, I've never looked back. It got me here. So are you proud to be a Portland musician now? I am proud to be a Portland musician. I really am. I, this is also like, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm a freak. I'm immediately suspicious of like the business. You know what I mean? So I kind of wonder, I wonder about the whole thing about the Portlandia deal and stuff like that. Like what? Like, did that change the national perception of what Portland was? It certainly had to be. It had to have. Because I remember not living in the Pacific Northwest during the heyday of grunge. And then what I thought Seattle was all about. Yeah. In 93. Yeah. You know? So it must have changed then. And then, you know... I think anytime you suddenly have this big national persona, it's a bad trip. But that's just me. I'm into like, I like the natural growth of things, you know? I don't think you should really, I'm not into pushing too hard, you know? I just want a nice little comfortable thing. That if you're lucky, it grows, you know? Because nothing stays the same. So it's either got to grow or, or fade. But I'm proud to be a Portland musician. I think it's really genuine up here. I still think it's incredibly genuine. I think of, for me, one of the greatest things is, is like aging and like actually feeling like I've gained some kind of wisdom or perspective just from having been around for a long time. Like, um, you know, like I used to maybe not be as accepting, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, like, um, if there were like music that, that where like the music was not to my taste, that I would feel a certain way about maybe the culture or the people that were making it where, where I felt like they were different from myself or whatever. And then I think of like, um, you know, like aesthetically, you know, I'm not like a 90s rock and roll kind of guy or whatever. So like I was never into the Dandy Warhols or anything like that. It meant nothing to me. You know what I mean? Good, good, good on anyone having success, but didn't mean anything to me and now to have like met all those cats and like that someone like Zia uses her celebrity to get behind like political causes that she's really into I think it's totally righteous I think they're all I think it's pretty it's pretty cool that whole hmm. you know and I wouldn't have you know a long time ago, I wouldn't have felt a kinship with them just because we're both from Portland. And now I kind of do. Like, it's all we're like, this is this is all one big community, you know. Yeah. I was thankful when uh, I really liked when um, I was uh, I, I got to be a part of a, a photo shoot for the first issue of Vortex magazine when that was happening. And they got all these people from all these different sections of the Portland music scene and got us together in a uh, for a photo shoot. And, and we actually kind of jammed and it was just really rad to just like reach across those kind of lines and have it be like oh no man like we're all in this together like you know there was a uh there was a dj uh a, a rapper and then uh natasha Kmedo, the 
uh, electronic musician, and Zia was there, and it was just it was just fantastic. It was good. I like I appreciated that concept of like you know crossing genre lines or whatever. I'd like to think hopefully that in general Portland and in the world that hopefully we're growing towards a much more, you know, postmodern view of things. I do feel like as a town one of the things and this is maybe a thing that Portlandia made fun of which I thought was not didn't need to be made fun of because it was actually kind of cool is the fact that in Portland like you could and maybe this is in any of the like hip places around the country because now any place with the internet you have the internet any place has a chance to be kind of metropolitan mm -hmm. in this in its own little tiny way to have some sort of culture you know a gluten-free muffin shop in a town of you know 2,000 people or something whatever um, but I forgot where I was going with that well, gone forever. <laughs> That's fine. Um, all right. Lastly, speaking of gone forever, what were um, what were some of your favorite places to play in Portland that aren't here anymore? Um, La Luna, mm -hmm. La Luna, the big room in La Luna was really cool. It's just a totally bizarre space. It sounded great. No architect would ever design a space like that again. Like it's something like that will never happen again um that was really cool um i don't know if it was a favorite i had some great times at burbati's pan that was pretty crazy stuffs i think i just love playing at the laurel there's more than just about anything in the whole world really like which is kind of it's a pretty good thing really <laughs> um that might just be because i know it and it's become the living room you know what i mean but yeah. uh a lot of the places that I've really loved to play here in Portland have uh, have stuck around, you know. Yeah. And it's in different sort of reasons for whatever, you know. Like I like to play the Crystal Ballroom. It sounds terrible. Yeah. It sounds terrible in there. I know. <laughs> I know for sure. But you know, it's the Crystal Ballroom, so you play, you know. Yeah. Right. I never got to play EJ's. Uh, I only played Satyricon once, and I was thankful to do that. That was with bingo and fernando that was cool i wish we could have a little more like when i think about satiricon and stuff like that i wish we could have a little more diverse music at the laurel thirst but the volume thing kind of makes that yeah untenable 